0: On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with a survivor named Vienna, and Vienna was married to a triangulating narcissist who was secretly running an elaborate smear campaign against her. It's a story of blame shifting, future faking, noticing patterns, and using the constant threat of suicide to keep you trapped within the relationship. And now, before we get to our episode with Vienna, I first want to thank everyone in the Narcissist Apocalypse community for listening to the show and sharing your thoughts by email, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Also, a reminder, if you've not left us a review on whatever podcast service you use, Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, CastBox, et cetera, et cetera, please leave us a five-star written review as it helps out the show a lot when it comes to rankings. Now, if you haven't been to our website recently and you want to be on our show, please do go to NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page says guest form. Click on that button and away you'll go. Fill up that guest form and the process will start. But another way of being on our show is to also go to NarcissistApocalypse.com and on the side of the page, there's a floating button that says send voicemail. That is for our letters to our narcissist compilation episode where you read a letter to your narcissist that's unsent. So you click on that button. It records up to five minutes. You need more than five minutes? Click it twice. We are accumulating these letters for our Letters to My Narcissist compilation episode in the series that we are doing. And if you do not want to read the letter yourself and want me or my old pal Melissa to do it for you, please go and email us at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com and put Letters to My Narcissist in the subject line. Other things that are happening at our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com, we are now Offering high conflict parenting courses that can be found at narcissistapocalypse.com/slash courses. Yes, we have now partnered with an online parenting company called Online Parenting, and many of the courses we're offering were created by Bill Eddy. And if you've listened to our episode last year with a divorce lawyer named Helen, you'll know that Bill Eddy is an expert. In dealing with these individuals in court and now he's helped create many parenting courses to help you through divorce and to help support your children too. these courses are the most widely recognized courses by family courts across the country. So if you want to support the show and are looking for guidance, please do go to com slash courses and what else do we got for you here today. Well, this week, it's uh, Christmas week, and and, you know, not everyone has the place to go for Christmas. So as part of our Patreon this week, we we also do support groups, and we're going to do a special support group uh, this week on Thursday between 6 and 11 Eastern time. Uh, We might talk about stuff. We just might hang out. I'm going to have dinner. Maybe I'll have some Chinese food. Something along those lines. Uh, So I'll be there. Other members of the support group will be there. And, you know, when you become a member of our Patreon, you get our support groups, which are usually run on Saturday nights and you get uh, episodes that have never made it to air follow-up episodes with former guests and much much more and if you want to join our patreon that is patreon.com slash and it's five dollars a month not a lot of money for getting at least four support groups there's usually six support group groups a month uh, and that is that it helps support the show keeps us free and what else do we got going down here i think that's it this is a really interesting episode Um, we talk with Vienna today and thank you Vienna for being part of the show. We go through a lot. We even talked about the Enneagram. There's the ups and downs of the story. This is a really interesting story as far as the pathology of, of the abuser goes. You learn a lot in this episode. There's a lot of good learning points in this episode. And I really just want to thank Vienna for sharing her knowledge and her experience, uh, from the bottom of my heart. Vienna, thank you. And now... It's time for me to get out of my way and your way. Here is my conversation episode interview with Vienna. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. With me today, I have Vienna. How are you?
1: I'm good. How are you?
0: I'm doing well. We chatted for a while. We have so much in common And we didn't even know it. Uh, And, you know, just weird things uh, uh, have kind of little kismet things. Is that the right word? You said serendipity before?
1: I said uh, synchronicity.
0: Synchronicity. So that's what's going on here, everyone. And I'm, you know, you sent in fantastic notes. I can't wait for you to uh, share your stories. I'm that you're here, but I know your story is going to help a lot of people. So I am going to uh, get in my way and your way. Vienna, the floor is now yours.
1: Thank you. Um, well, I guess I'll start at the beginning. I, As far as where I came from and how I grew up, I was raised in a pretty normal middle-class household in the South. Um, My dad was a cop, and that had a profound... uh, that, That affected me profoundly in a lot of ways. He was pretty domineering, and some would say abusive. He definitely was in control in the house, and everybody just kind of walked on eggshells around his nudes, including myself. And it really, it, it really caused me to withdraw. I wasn't, I, I wouldn't say I was a shy kid, but I just, I preferred being alone. I was really in my own head a lot. And I, I, always just wanted to get out of there. I thought, you know, as soon as I turn 18, as soon as I graduate high school, I can leave here and I can start a whole new life and I can, (laughs) I can come out of my shell and whatnot. So anyway, I moved to New York city just to get as, you know, as far away from where I was from and as different as where I was. And, um, yeah, I don't think I understood or even realized or even thought about how growing up kind of isolated would affect me in my friendships and my relationships until now. And it's almost 20 years later. Um, I, I guess I was kind of always looking for someone to not complete me that's so cheesy but more like to merge with like I just wanted somebody to understand my weird personality (laughs) Um, that I you know I felt like kind of alien in this like human world and when I met my now ex-husband that was that was what I thought i found. And in hindsight, it's, it was not that at all. But anyways, um, I, I met him at a bar that I was working at. He was a customer and I was the bartender and um, he was pretty flirty and he gave me his number and I didn't think anything of it. I didn't call him nothing for a few weeks. And then I, I found his number in my bag or something and I texted him and we set a date and we went out and he kind of just never (laughs) stopped showing up or texting me. And I, I honestly, I wasn't, it wasn't like a soulmate connection. I didn't feel butterflies or sparks or anything, but what, did happen was he now i know he was mirroring me quite a bit he was kind of just his his demeanor was my demeanor and i have a you know a pretty shy super calm especially under pressure and just laid back kind of vibe i guess to me and it's really difficult to find people like that especially in new york city but he was as cool as a cucumber (laughs) and he was down for whatever and he was really optimistic and i just really i fell for it I, i wanted someone in my life who didn't create a lot of chaos in hindsight i screwed that one up pretty good um yeah, and and uh, he would always say this thing. He would always say, "I'm easy." I'll remember that till the day I die, probably. I'm easy. What What do you want to do? I'm easy. Um, he He's anything but easy. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, when When we first met, within a couple weeks. I was telling him how I wanted to go to Barbados. I've I've traveled a lot. I've been all over. And I had a tendency to kind of just go whenever I felt like it, whenever I could save up enough money to get a plane ticket. And he was like, oh, I really want to go to Barbados, too. That's crazy. So we ended up, a month or two after we met, going to Barbados, And it was like a dream. It was amazing. Um, I remember thinking on that trip that we were so similar that it didn't make sense. Like it was bizarre almost how similar we were and how we had all of the same hopes and dreams for our future, which we didn't at all. He just said like yeah me too whenever I would say something um he asked I remember he asked me on that trip what I envisioned my future being like and I told him you know traveling and I wanted to move to the desert and I wanted to start my own business and I wanted to work from home and I wanted to make my own schedule and I just wanted to be free really I wanted to make enough money to do the things that I wanted to do, but I wanted to do it freely. And he was like, that's crazy. Me too. <laughs> and then while we were on that trip, he asked me if I would consider marrying him. And I was like, what? And he was like, "It don't you think it's kind of like meant to be? We're pretty much the same person. And I was like, yeah, I, Okay. And so, you know, it wasn't like a drop down to your knee kind of proposal. It was just more, it was actually my style. It was just kind of casual and it made perfect sense. (laughs) And it was, uh, it was all done on future faking. It was completely this fantasy that I had finally met someone who wanted the same things that I wanted for myself. And I could have like a partner to do it with. So how long um, into
0: your relationship does that proposal happen? Three months. Oh, really quick.
1: Very fast. Yeah. Very fast. I think um, in hindsight, I was kind of searching for a way out of where i was and i i i had this plan to just kind of upend my life and flip everything and start this new segment um and he was just so down i i i was like it's uh it's fate <laughs> fate has arrived here here it is so i said yeah and and we we got married Pretty quickly after that too. We were married nine months after we met. So six months after the trip.
0: And what did your friends and family think of uh him? Uh you know, did anyone put up a stink saying like they didn't like him secretly, uh or that this is just too soon?
1: I got a few uh, okay, th- this is really unexpected. going <laughs> kind of, I had a lot of those conversations. I, I called one of my close girlfriends, and she said, "Who? You're seeing someone?" Like she didn't even. I, it was kind of like a. It was before we went on that trip. It was. It wasn't like I was calling my friends and telling them that I was in love. You know, I didn't even bring him up often. And, and I, yeah. So uh, as far as family goes, I have a very small family at this point. Uh, it was just my mother and my sister and my sister is married and has a couple kids and she's got this really great busy life. And she was like, okay. <laughs> and my mom was, she was like, Oh, that's great. So Uh, yeah, we got, we got married before a year had passed. And his family actually was the the more skeptical of the families. They were kind of like, uh, what are you doing? But I wasn't really privy to all of that. He kept me and his family pretty separate. And this turns into this whole other thing later that I'll get into. But yeah, uh pretty much right after we got married, he did a complete one eighty. And I was so baffled. I was it was like it, it wasn't reality. I kept explaining it away in all all these ways. He's he's a couple years younger than me, not a lot, just a couple of years. And I would think, Well, he's Maybe he just needs to, like, mature into this. He started getting really jealous. He started um, telling me that I needed to quit my job, which was where he met me. So it wasn't like he didn't know that that's what I was doing. He started making uh, these little criticisms about what I was wearing to work and why I was wearing it. Like, I was trying to get attention from men when really it was like I worked I worked at a bar that was 100 degrees at at midnight because there's so many people it's so crowded it was just like I had to wear I couldn't wear a sweatshirt you know so anyway um yeah he he very quickly went from being super cool super calm to completely domineering and really anxious he came across to me as really um, panicky almost. And um, this all kind of came to a head on his birthday where I had, I'm a big birthday person. I love giving people like these big extravagant birthdays where they feel super special. So I took him to breakfast at his favorite breakfast place and then there was this uh, show at a museum that he had been wanting to see. So we went to the museum and I bought him a couple of books that he was looking at, you know, while his back was turning, wasn't looking. And I uh, put together a surprise party for him later where all his friends came and I rent, I not rented, but I reserved a couple booths and I got a bunch of food delivered and I paid for all the drinks and I just kind of like, let him be, you know, the celebrity of the day. And I actually, I had slept like two hours the night before because I had worked till five in the morning. And I had to be back at work the next morning at 11. So around midnight that night, I just said like, I can't do it. I can't go any further. I got to go home. And he was like, that's great. You go home. I'll be home in a little bit. And he shows up probably two o'clock in the morning and he's ranting and raving like a crazy person. Like when you see people flipping out on TV, not making any sense, their words aren't fitting together. They're not saying anything. That was what he was doing. And he was pacing back and forth super fast. And he was bright red. His whole body was different. He looked like he had put on like 20 pounds of muscle on his way from the bar back to the house. And, um, he was going nuts saying that one of our neighbors, um, he was going to kill one of our neighbors. He was like frantically looking for a knife so he could go outside and murder our neighbor. (laughs) And this is, this is after, you know, a year of me being with this, like, really cool, calm, and collected person. Um, He got really angry with me. He turned all of that anger and frustration back onto me when I refused to get a knife and go help him murder somebody. He was flipping out on me because I didn't love him because I wouldn't kill my neighbor for him. It was so absurd. It was like... It it was, it was good that it was so absurd, I think, because if it weren't, it maybe would have scared me more, but it was just so crazy. I was like, in my mind, I thought, did he, did he take PCP before he came home? Did somebody, did he think he was going to do a bump of cocaine, but instead somebody gave him, I don't know, something else? That's what I thought this whole time. And this went on this night for hours. It was like. The sun was coming up before it was over. He was, he shifted from being mad at me to wanting to die. He was just like laying on the floor like a toddler, pounding his fist on the ground to the point where our neighbors were yelling through the floor to shut the hell up. He was, at one point, he went, we lived on the third floor. He went and opened the window and put half of his body out. He's like, I'm jumping out of the window. And I was just like, what? What is going on? And by the end of it, he was like in the fetal position, sobbing about how he wanted to die, how he was going to kill himself. And eventually he just fell asleep. (laughs) And the next day he woke up like nothing happened. He just completely pretended like he didn't remember, and I was sitting there like, "You really don't remember?" And he's like, "I don't know what you're talking about." It it was it was uh. Were, it was confusing. Were you
0: being <laughs> uh, gaslit in other ways uh, during that time besides these episodes that he was having, and then saying that he wasn't um, having those episodes?
1: Yes, but I didn't know this until years later.
0: Did you I, and, I was? Oh sorry, continue?
1: No, I was just saying I I was, but I had no idea. Okay.
0: Did you um in that like first year of marriage because of these, you know, episodes that are going on, did you go see anyone uh to discuss this? Like did you guys see a professional? Were you concerned that there was something wrong with him that was a more like uh that he wasn't um saying that maybe he had um i don't know like schizophrenia or something along those lines
1: It's 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 interesting that you say that because he I don't know if it was this episode or the next one or the next one or the next one but at one point he started while he was like having these rage attacks he started saying, "I think I'm schizophrenic. I'm hearing voices." But then later, when that would come up in therapy, he would completely deny it ever happened. So,
0: so when you yeah, so did you go it, to see a therapist, um like early on or no?
1: Not. That, yes, but not right after that first one. He he pretended like he didn't know, and then he said. And then I said, did some, did you take drugs? And he was kind of like, maybe, you know, I was really drunk. It's possible. So that first time I just chalked it up to, I believed them. I mean, I, I, I didn't know what else to do. I, I never experienced anything like that in my entire life. I mean, my dad was really tough, but he wasn't psychotic, you know, (laughs) I, I just thought like, yeah, maybe he just like went on a bad trip and doesn't want to come clean about taking something. So whatever. But then it, it happened again. It happened like a month later. Um, and that's when I said, this isn't normal. And I told him he had to go see somebody. Um, and he reported back. He he did. He followed through. He went and saw somebody and he said, yeah, it, it's an alcohol issue. I drink too much. I'm, I'm possibly slipping into like a, uh, alcohol-induced cytosis which I pretty sure is not a thing but at the time I was like okay so he's like I'm gonna start going to AA after work and I'm gonna stop drinking and I thought all right that's great that's cool and he went on an antidepressant at the same time um which he ultimately took for like two weeks and then he just stopped taking it. And then he stopped going to AA and he stopped going to therapy. And
0: so, but, but but for you, started, sorry, continue, I'm just going to interrupt for one second. Uh, for you, you know, you started off here in your relationship. You were uh, love bombed. You were a future fake. That was the biggest thing for you as far as hooking you in that whole shared future. This guy is, you know, is really in tune with everything that I am about. Hook, line, and sinker. You've gotten married, and now this other person has started to show. And right here, we have a spot where you know, you're know you concerned about all these things. You've uh, You're not looking away. You're concerned about it, and you've asked him to do these things. He goes and does it. At that point, you're somewhat satisfied. Okay, he's working on it, so now you're able to, I guess, breathe a little bit more comfortably, and then you know he does these things for a couple of weeks maybe and possibly a week longer who knows and uh at that point you know he's that time has passed so you have been able to normalize and now we're back into um him being off so now we kind of had like i guess uh a love bomb of sorts a trust bomb i would call
1: it yeah trust bomb is a good good term for it for sure yeah, and it wasn't like he was he would go off the rails for a week, he'd go off the rails for a night and then back to normal for a month or two. So it was really like, you know, in real time it's 60 days of great and then one night of terror. And it didn't it, it 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 obviously it set up a lot of red flags and I was not happy about it and I wasn't cool with it but at the same time immediately he would go see a therapist immediately he would try he would he would put on the facade like he was trying to do something about it and he was also really convincing me that it had never happened before this is like a new thing that's just popped up in his life out of nowhere and he was scared too it would become like Super vulnerable and and talked to me about how scared he was of himself, you know. And at the same time, he was threatening to kill himself kind of constantly. Every, you know, every time he'd have one of these episodes, he would go straight into, I wanna die, I wanna kill myself. And he also um at one point started saying he thinks he's having these episodes because he is remembering that he was sexually abused as a child. And this is like, this comes out of nowhere. So now I have so much empathy for his situation and I'm trying my very best to, you know, live by my marriage vows, which is in sickness and in health. And this is obviously some sort of illness. This is what I'm thinking at the time. And I, wouldn't dare leave him in this uh, sudden mental health crisis. You know, that's what I was thinking. I was really naive. I was really naive, but I was also dutiful to a fault, which is.
0: Did you feel responsible, or, or did you feel at the time? Did you feel like you were? If this, if this, if I break up with him or I leave, and he. Uh, takes his own life, I'm responsible. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. And I was, I was reminded that that's what would happen constantly. Also, you know, it was like every time he thought I was mad at him, every time he had this like perceived notion that he was upsetting me in some way, he would go straight into the, I'm going to kill myself thing. Uh, and, And that, that got to the point where he had gone to like three therapists I think at at a certain point and um, I had gone with him to two and both times they were like I'm not going to see you as a couple this isn't a couple's issue but he kept insisting that this whole this whole thing started when he met me this whole thing started when we got married so it Obviously, I had to be responsible for it in some way. (laughs) And despite every single person telling him that that's not the case, he just wouldn't let it go. So um, eventually he did it again. You know, like, I'm only going to therapy if you go with me. You're part of the problem. And I just decided instead of trying to, like, get the therapist that it's not me, that it's him, whatever, that I'm just going to stay. I'm just going to try to stay. So at least if I go, then he'll stay, then he'll keep going. Um, And pretty quickly that therapist too was like, I'm not seeing you as a couple. This is, you have no reason to be here. This isn't about you. It was during this time that I started noticing a pattern developing actually where he was flipping out he was blaming it on alcohol or he was blaming it on me or he was blaming it on the stress of his job or whatever and um that therapist was kind of like no this is this is your cross to bears. this is this has nothing to do with anything but you and yourself and your mind and um it seemed like it, it seemed like whatever would set him off was so random but really it was He was, it was whenever he would think that I was going to be upset by something. Like, um, he started kind of obsessively, compulsively narrowing in on one topic. Like uh, we had opposite hours because he had a day job and I worked at night and he would just kind of harp on this idea that I didn't want to spend time with him because our hours were different. And he would ask me to take nights off work and I couldn't get that night off of work. And he would internalize it and make it about him and and make it about how I didn't want to spend that night with him. So I didn't try to get my night covered or whatever. And when I would point out to him, like, you know, you could take a day off work. Why don't you take a day off work? It would be like, what? No, 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 no. You have to do it. Or when I pointed out um, that he slept until 2 o'clock in the afternoon on Saturdays and Sundays while I was up at 8 o'clock in the morning alone all day long. You know, we could be spending that time together. And right after that, this is like a a real conversation that we had. Um, He woke up one Saturday afternoon at like one thirty or two, and he was like anticipating me being smug about how I just pointed this out and then he did it or something. I have no clue. But the anticipation of what he expected me to be like or to say or whatever amped him up to the point of rage straight out of the bed when I'm just sitting in the living room doing nothing. And this was the first time he flipped out on me when it wasn't late at night when he hadn't been drinking. So now it's obvious that it's not an alcohol problem because it's the middle of the afternoon. And this was, this was like a, just a few months after we got married, maybe six months after we got married. He physically assaulted me in the middle of the afternoon for the first time. And uh, it was so fast and so it was just out of nowhere. I was I was on like Photoshop. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember what I was doing, but I remember being on the computer and he came up <clears throat> and I was sitting at the kitchen table, which was between... I was between a wall and the table, and he just pushed the table into me, so he trapped me between the wall with the table um, super hard. I, I had to wiggle out, and while I'm wiggling out, he's taking all the chairs and throwing them across the apartment. We lived in a railroad apartment, so it's this long kind of hallway. He's just launching the chairs and breaking the chairs, And I wiggle out, and I try to, like, squeeze past him (laughs) because I, you know, without thinking about it, I'm like, this is dangerous. I need to get out of here as fast as possible. So I go to grab my bag because I actually have to go to work. And he grabs me by my shoulders, and he pushes me against the wall. And then he opens the front door to our apartment. While it's still locked, he pulled it so hard that he opened it while it was deadbolted. And he shoved me out of it and I fell down the stairs and my heart is like pounding and I have no time to cry. Pro- I'm like, I, I'm running to work. I'm going to be late for work and I get to work and I just, I have a complete meltdown and I have to leave because I, it's starting to like hit me, which has happened. And this whole time he's texting me like, I'm going to kill myself. I can't believe I just did that. You need to call, you need to call 911 to come here. Otherwise, by the time you get home, I'll be dead. So again, it's something that I have to do. It's my fault that he's in this situation. So I guess you could say that was a pretty big turning point. But, um, yeah. I didn't, I didn't go home. I stayed at a friend's house for a couple of nights and he, you know, agreed to go back, agreed to go to therapy. He actually, he, um, he got an Airbnb for a week and I, I didn't ask him to, he was just kind of like, I know that I really screwed up this time. I really, I want you to feel safe in our house. I don't want you to feel afraid of me. I'm going to give you this space. And this becomes another theme going forward where he does something to hurt me. And then he plays this like hero all of a sudden where he's like, I really want, I really just want you to feel comfortable. So I'm going to go. And in hindsight, I think that he was, actually assaulting me to give him an excuse to leave the house for a week or to give him an excuse to go get a hotel room and do whatever he wants, which is not like he couldn't do that anyways, but it was like this weird backwards motion where he was doing just these really God awful things to excuse these other awful things.
0: That's really, that. that's really interesting. Uh, you figuring that out or at least being able to connect those dots that, you know, his backwards way instead of instead of saying like I need um, space or like oh I need just alone time was to assault you, abuse you. Right. And then come in and smooth things over in but his motivation possibly is. That he just wants a week alone, right? It's actually, or not alone? Or,
1: maybe with somebody else. <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah. That, you know, I, the, the thinking, the thought process on that is is just um, it's scary. It's, it's fascinating and scary at the same time.
1: Yeah, I, I didn't put this together obviously till later. The, all, all of these things that happened over the course of the years. Aren't, it, it's like people say, like, didn't you see the red flags? Didn't you see it? And it's like, yeah, I did. Later, after patterns started to form, you have to be with somebody for a long time to see the patterns forming to realize that it's not a one-off thing. It's not a mistake. It's not, I'm drunk. It's not, I'm high. It's not any of that. It's It's a pervasive pattern of behaviors that, you know, are ingrained into this person's personality right so yeah I it I I can say this now in hindsight but at the time it, it wasn't clear um I actually at at this time I I said I'm I think I'm gonna be done and um he put together this like long like like the rules like my, my list of rules to live by to, to be the husband that my wife deserves, some, <laughs> some really corny things. And he posted them on the refrigerator and he went to therapy every single day or AA or, uh, I don't know if you know what Dharma punks says, but he would go to that and he really, you know, quote unquote, proved to me that this time would be different, that he was gonna stick with it, whatever. Um, and he did. He did for like six months. We had a, a really solid, good six months where I felt like things were coming back to quote unquote normal, that, you know, he was he was not <clears throat> he wasn't just apologizing to get back into my good favor. He was he seemed sincere. He seemed like he was atoning for his misdeeds. I don't want to minimize it for his abuse, you know, Um, until (laughs) until uh, one day he we're we're, we've decided to move at this point. We're moving out of the city. We're moving out west. We're going to just like pick up and start over somewhere new he you know he's going to he's going to feel so much better when he's not in the city he's going to feel so much better when he's not working in this robotic 9 to 5 job it's all these things we decide like this is the best thing for us and he goes to sleep for 4 days he doesn't get out of bed for 4 days to help me pack it's like we have 30 hours till we have to be out of our apartment there's people moving in And he's just asleep and he doesn't get up for days. And I'm talking like, I'm not exaggerating. He gets up and he uses the bathroom and goes straight back to bed. And it's like, I was already at this point walking on eggshells kind of constantly. Never, I didn't want to stir the beast. We had had such a smooth period of time that I was just like, whatever I'm just going to try to pack the house I had friends come over they helped me they were kind of like why is he asleep (laughs) like I don't know but I was I was packing all for an entire day an entire night and it was into the afternoon of the next day I had no sleep and I saw him get out of bed and take a shower and I was just so offended by it and so confused by it that as soon as he opens the door out of the shower, I say, What the hell are you doing? What is this? What are you doing? And immediately he pushes me into the wall again, like he did the first time. And this time he picks me up by my throat. So my I, I weigh like a hundred pounds soaking wet. And he's and I'm five foot tall and he's almost six foot. He picks me up by my throat. <laughs> And he's choking me. He's not just holding me there. He's he's squeezing. And his face is the same color that it was the first time that he came home where he was trying to kill our neighbor. And his his body had changed like that again where he looked super muscular all of a sudden. And I thought he was going to kill me. So I dug. I I don't even remember thinking about what I was doing. It was instinctual, and I just dug my fingernails into his chest to get him to let go, and he didn't let go. Well, he did eventually, but first he flung me by my neck into the other room, kind of like a body slam, and I ended up hitting my ankle on the corner of a dresser. And I had this like I thought I broke my ankle, i thought my I thought my leg was broken, <clears throat> it was so painful um, and then he just went back to bed, and that was that was the beginning of moving to the middle of nowhere with this person. <laughs> I I was just like, and and it was right before we needed to go. There was no time for, I I didn't know what to do. I couldn't stay there. There were people moving in. It was, we were also driving cross country. So then it was, you know, going to be 30 hours in the car right after this happened. It was, his, his timing was always so, his timing was, it became clear that he was doing things at certain times for certain reasons and it wasn't random. And another pattern that I was figuring out right around this time was that his his lashing out at me would occur uh, right before we would see his parents or his parents would come to visit. And I we were stopping at his parents' house on the way to where we were moving and I don't know at the time I thought like, okay, his parents, his parents are the trigger. He's, he's got some like repressed thing going on with them. And whenever he thinks about seeing them, he, I don't know, like, it's like not conscious or whatever, but Anyways, this this time where where he body slammed me, our neighbors called the police. So the police come, and uh, they they ended up giving him the option of going to jail or going to the psychiatric hospital. So he chose the hospital, obviously. And what I didn't know was he was texting his dad this whole time. Uh, You know, he he throws me across the room. I leave the house. The neighbors call the police. The police show up. And this whole time in between, he's texting his dad saying that I just flipped out on him for no reason whatsoever. And I called the police on him. And I'm trying to get him thrown in jail for false domestic violence charges. So this is his story to his dad. And his dad's like, I'll be right there. So his dad gets on a plane that afternoon. And he's in New York a couple hours later. And he's uh, called the hospital that he was taken to and put me on a no-contact no, no contact list. So I'm trying to call around to figure out where he's been taken. And I can't get any information because his dad has made it so I can't get through to him. And his dad... Uh, basically tells him, like, we'll pay for your divorce. This this can't keep going on because what I find out later is that he has been spending the better part of this entire year that we've been married telling his parents that I'm abusing him, that I'm physically abusing him and that I've uh, emotionally traumatized him in some way. And that's how he's explaining his, uh, in therapy and him going on and off medication. He's flipping our roles and he's garnering support and sympathy from his family, but in a way that demonizes me when it's the complete opposite. And I, I have no idea about this. I have no clue. So every time I see his family, they're treating me like I'm they've got this like side-eye with me constantly and I pick up on it right away, but I don't realize what it, why, you know, I, I think it's because we were, he was sharing with them uh, his struggles and what he was going through. And they were kind of interpreting it as, well, this all started when you met her. So she's part of the problem, which that was going on. But at the same time, he was telling them that I was calling the police on him and getting him falsely arrested and we were going to get kicked out of our apartment because of all of the rage attacks that I was performing when it was the other way you know so um, on our way across country right before we get to his parents house I tell him you know I'm leaving I'm leaving you here <laughs> you can't come with me I'm it's it's too much especially after, you know, his dad had just come there. And I was like, just totally confused by the whole situation. And I felt like he wasn't being straight with me and nobody was being straight with me. And I was, I was just like, this is it. You're staying here. I'm sorry. You have to, you have to like explain to me why all this is happening or you have to stay behind.
0: Just, I, I have, I have one question before we continue, just so we, everyone can get, uh, you know, just so we can all understand a little bit more. So his dad came, you were on a list. You can't go see him. His dad has flown home. He gets out of the psych ward and you two, Yeah,
1: like, like hours later. Okay.
0: And you two make up of some way or you, or you, you're content to get him in the car and then leave him there.
1: Well, what happens is he actually is texting me the whole time. He's with his dad saying, my dad just showed up here. I begged him not to come. He's trying to get me to divorce you. (laughs) So he's triangulating the three of us. Okay, okay. But he's, yeah, so I'm, he's, he's put me in this position now where all of a sudden, I'm moving cross country with my husband, and three hours later, his, his dad is, making him divorce me. Like he has no agency or something. And it, it, it it's triggered this like fight instinct in me. Like, like this was my family. You can't take my family from me. Like, um, how dare his dad try to take my family from me, (laughs) you know? And he, it was, he, he was expertly triangulating us. And, you know meanwhile he's telling his dad that I'm this awful abusive wife who's uh has it out for him he I'm going to tell everybody he's a wife beater when he's done nothing and you know meanwhile i think a lot of people know when you're in an abusive situation especially a newly abusive situation you don't go running and telling people <laughs> that you're being beat up by your husband it's really embarrassing it's really not something that you share. So, yeah, so it's like there's this trio dynamic happening now where it's him and his parents against me and him and me against his parents, but nobody's against him. Um, We, you know, we spend a couple of days at his parents' house. This is Christmas time. And we, I... He uh, he proposed this idea that if he could come with me, if we could just make this work, if we could make this right, that he would, as soon as we got to where we were going, he would enter into a batterer's anonymous. I don't know if that's what it's called, but it's like a a, a group for batterers. It's where they send, it's where like court sends, sends you. If you get... Accused of domestic violence or whatever. So, um, we got here. I told him he has thirty days to follow through with that. It's day thirty. We 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 essentially like moved here on the first of January, and it's January thirtieth. And I'm just like clock's ticking. What are you gonna do? So he, I I have the car at this point. I have the, our only car, and. I'm driving him everywhere. I'm like chauffeuring him around constantly, or he's taking my car and I'm stuck at home. So to make sure that he actually is going to this place, I drive him and I drop him off and I go and run an errand and I come back and pick him up and he gets in the car and he's got this like smug look on his face. And I said, Oh, do you want to tell me about it? And he was like, yeah, they, uh, the guy kind of agrees with me that it sounds like you're the one who could use therapy. <laughs> and as soon as he says that, I'm like, oh, no. Wow. I ca- I couldn't believe he just said it. I said nothing. I was completely silent. And that was the beginning of the end for me. That was the day that I kind of shifted in my mind to this is not happening. This is not going to be, this isn't going to end well. But that was still two years before. (laughs) Embarrassingly, but it, it, it shifted my perspective a lot. And I began treating him differently. Um, And what I mean by that is I wasn't coddling his outbursts anymore. I was, Acting when he was raging around the house, I would just act like nothing was happening. I would just keep doing whatever I was doing. I wouldn't look up. I wouldn't engage him. I would just leave the house. I'd just walk right past him. Um, I thought at the time, for some reason, that if I stopped paying attention to his outbursts, that he would stop, that there was clearly a reason why he was doing them. And... If I just, if, if nobody was around, you know, like if a tree falls in the woods, does not make a sound? It was like that. It's like, if I'm not around to witness it, maybe he'll just stop doing it. Cause maybe that's part of it. Maybe he's just looking for attention or something. So this actually enrages him more. <laughs> I come to find out later this, this whole year after we move is like a constant, uh, war zone in the house and it's not us fighting it's just him destroying everything he he breaks the kit the glass on the kitchen cabinets he pulls every door off every hinge he breaks anything that's plugged into the wall he like will pick up the lamp and just start slamming it on the floor he broke the broom he broke the broom pan he destroyed the trash can it was like if it wasn't Tied down, he was gonna break it. And it was nonstop. And I I checked out. I, you know, like I promised I was gonna do, I started a business and it rapidly became successful. Like uh just one of those once in a lifetime deals where I hit the jackpot with with my ideas and um I just threw myself into my work. I totally was, I was in denial. I was in denial. And I was also, I think I went into like self-preservation mode where I just thought like, let me make enough money. By the time we ended up moving, I think I had $36 in my bank account. I was just like, let me make enough money so I can, so I can get myself out of this situation at least. And this whole time, almost this first whole year, that after we've moved, he's either not working or he's working extremely part time. So on top of me trying to, you know, run a, run a business to the point where I can survive, I'm also now paying a good portion of the bills and I'm, you know, I'm paying, I'm the only one paying for the car and our insurance and all this stuff. So I'm actually not saving any money. Because it's all going towards things for both of us. Um, come um, next Christmas time, so like a year's passed since I decided that he could come with me. Um, he, right before we're supposed to go to his parents' house again, starts. You know, he's flipping out like kind of on a weekly basis, but he goes really off the rails. And he's out in front of our house, barefoot in the snow, pacing up and down the street, acting like he's. I, I don't want to say schizophrenic because I, I don't really know. But it was it was like, again, he was kind of going to that place where he was just not himself, where it wasn't for attention, where he wasn't trying to scare me, where he wasn't trying to, like, get something from me. He was just out of his mind. And he was begging me to take him to the hospital. So I take him to the hospital. He wants to check himself into the psych ward. He wants to stay overnight. And I'm just like, whatever you want. This is probably what's best for you. This is great. I'm thinking of it as a positive thing. Meanwhile, again, he's texting his dad saying that I just made him go to the psych ward, that I admitted him into the hospital against his will, and now he can't get out, and he needs his dad to come get him. So his dad shows up and I'm like, what are you doing? What are you doing here? And he's like, I'm, I'm, I'm breaking him out. I'm taking him home. And within like two hours, me finding out that his dad's here, he's on an airplane back to where he grew up. And I'm, it makes no sense to me because I don't know that he's again. Texted his dad to come and get him after he's the one who put himself there in the first place. Um, that was a really awkward Christmas. <laughs> that was a really awkward Christmas. He his parents actually made him go see a psychiatrist back where he grew up, and he, you know, he got a a few different tentative diagnoses, whatever you can get after seeing somebody for an hour. And they had decided the, – the, the doctor he saw suggested that he go on an antipsychotic drug, which made him really hazy and sleepy and kind of just, like, out of it. So to um, adapt to it, everybody decided it would be best. Everybody, I mean by, like, his parents and him, that he stayed at his parents' house for like a month. And I, I was cool with it. I was like, that's great. I need the space. I need the time. I need to figure this thing out. Um, so he calls me about two weeks then, and is like, you got to get me out of here. I want to be with you. I want to be home with you. This isn't where I live. This isn't my family. This isn't, you know, you're my family. You're the love of my life. Blah, 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 blah. So I fly to where he is and we rent a U-Haul and we... Drive back home. Um, And as soon as we get back, he's being overly critical again. He's threatening to kill himself again. It's like nothing ever happened. He goes off of the drug that he was on, which is fine. I I don't, you know, I wasn't advocating for him to be drugged in any way, but um, what he did do while he was away was enter into a program, like an outpatient program for, um, you know, just people having trouble, adults who are having trouble kind of living their lives. They had transferred him to the place here that did the same thing. And once again I was really optimistic. I was really like, okay, he's committed to this. He's gonna he's gonna like put in the effort. We're really going to get to the bottom of this. And it was right then that I caught him on the phone with his mom and she was on speakerphone. And Every, we were having like a fine day. Nothing was off. Nothing was weird. Every, we were, everything was kind of calm in the house. It was funny. It was nice. And I hear him in the other room and he's sobbing in the phone. It he's, he's having like, ai am I'm crying and I need my mommy moment. And I hear his mom say, well, what do you, what, what are we going to do, honey? She's been abusing you for years. You have got to get out of this situation. She's going to end up killing you. Something like that. And I'm on the other side of the wall, like, melting onto the floor. Just it all made sense in that moment, what had been happening over the course of the past few years. It was I had had my suspicions that he was, lying to them about me, that there was something really off between me and his parents and his parents and him in this triangle. And I just walked in the room. I didn't even wait for the conversation to be over. I just walked in the room and I just stood there and I just sat there and I made him, I made him keep the conversation going while I was standing there. Um, so I just, kind of calmly suddenly off the phone, like, what's this about? What, what what was that, you know? And he came clean. He told me everything. He didn't hold back. He didn't try to lie. He was like, I just got so far into the lie after the first time I ended up in the hospital. I, I just couldn't stop the lie. So for a year and a half, he was in constant contact with them, kind of living this living in this alternate reality where I was abusing him when really it was the opposite. And what's really interesting is we were supposed to go see his parents like a week from then or even a few days maybe from then. We were all meeting kind of in the middle in a vacation spot that they had so I told them, you know, obviously I wasn't going. <laughs> like, what an awkward situation. I finally figured out why they don't like me, why they treat me really off, why they keep coming and trying to, like, get him to get away from me while they keep offering to pay for him to get a divorce from me. Like, none of this made sense until this moment. And I was just like, yeah, right, I'm not going. That's not happening. No way. That sounds like a really awful That sounds like a really awful time, especially for a vacation. That's just not happening. But he was like, no, 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 you have to come. I'm going to come clean. I'm going to tell them everything. And I want you to be there so you can witness it. And so you can believe me that that's what I'm going to do. I think at the, I think at, at that time I thought like, well, whatever, like what else, what could go more wrong than what's already gone wrong? Let me at least go like. Clear my name before anything else happens. I don't know. I had this. Um, I was really sour because I have lived my life up until this point with almost like a a, a toxic integrity where I'm overly loyal. I'm overly committed. I'm. I'm. If I tell you I'm going to do something, no matter what, I'm going to do it. And it was like. I have have been on my A-game for so long, I will not let you tear my good name down. And I'm going to make sure that you clear my name. And it was like this crusade that I was on at this point. I was really, um, you know what I was doing? I was uh, ignoring the problem. (laughs) I was ignoring the problem, and I was making it about all these other things where, like, Instead of just saying, like, I'm in a very abusive relationship that is probable to really harm me or even kill me, I was like, let me go clear my name. Because that's what I'm going to focus on right now. So, anyway, yeah, we go. We go to dinner. And he just, like, before uh, the food comes, he's like, I have to tell you guys something. I've been lying to you for years. She's not abusive. She's actually really wonderful. She <laughs> stuck by me while I have physically assaulted her. He t- he tells them everything. And they're sitting there like black jawed. Their jaws are just on the table. They can't believe it. And the first thing out of his mother's mouth when he's done speaking is, Well, we didn't raise you like that. That's not how we raised you. That didn't come from us. And I was like, Oh my God, that's where it comes from. Like <laughs> it was like Oh, okay. That's where it comes from. She's she's immediately not understanding and not listening to him, and she's just shifting the blame. She's trying to figure out who can she blame because it's not her fault. It's not his fault. And it was like this. It was an alternate universe that I had entered into where I was seeing what he was doing through these other people who were connected to him who everybody was against me, but nobody had a reason to be against me. It was just like, it, it was mind blowing. It was shocking. It was so so clear all of a sudden. And I remember them asking me questions, but I, it was like uh the Charlie Brown teacher, like the wah, 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 wah. wah. I couldn't, I was so fell down by the whole situation. I have no clue what was said. I have no clue what I said. I I don't even know if I spoke. But um, they ended up leaving the next day. I think they were supposed to... We were all supposed to stay there together for a few days, and they just left. And um, they didn't believe him, it turns out. I don't know... I have no, I don't know if after all of this went down, if they, if he called them the next day and said like, yeah, I just, you know, she. I don't know what was holding a knife to him underneath the table. If he didn't say that to them, I have no clue, but for some reason, it ends up that they don't even believe him that they still think it's me, that they think that this was all part of it somehow. Um. I would love to know what was said because it's 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 like a study into the mind of just it, – it's an expert triangulator, I guess, is what you could say. I still – even though I think that I've just been uh, vindicated, I'm actually not at all, but I think that I have been. So um, we come back home. And things are like normal. And when I say normal, I mean like he's not—he's not like choking me, but he's still breaking everything in the house. But he's also committed to going to this outpatient thing, and he's going, and he's going like four days a week. And my business is doing really well, and I'm working a lot. I'm working like 120 hours plus a week. I'm not sleeping multiple nights a week. I can't keep up with the demand, but I also, uh, my, my, my studio, my work studio was in our house and I knew that I needed help, but I couldn't bring somebody into that environment. So I, we, I discussed it with him. I say like, you know, I just think that it would be better if I get a studio outside of the house. And I think that it's like, it triggered something in him. I think it 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 put him on this path of, like, you don't love me. You don't want to be with me. You want to be away from me. You never want to be with me. You hate me. You think I'm a monster. You think I'm a psychopath. It's just constant. You think, you think, you think, you think. I had no opinions of my own. I had no personality of my own. He was telling me constantly what I thought, what I believed, and, uh, yeah, I, I ended up getting the studio outside of the house and as soon as I did that, it was like, he felt abandoned by me, I think. Um, and he started, uh, he started cheating and I, and I, I didn't care I was like I don't care. I I would rather him do that and be gone and and be nice to me at this point than be faithful because I was I was so checked out. And I wanted things to end, I just didn't know how to do it and I thought, well, maybe if I catch him cheating, that'll be a really easy way out. That'll be that'll be clear cut and something that he couldn't wiggle his way back
0: from um I, I i have one question um
1: yeah when it
0: comes to him you know constantly going to these programs and going to a therapist and, and everything like that in your opinion because we're just talking about our opinion right now um mm-hmm. does in a way or do you feel that he's going just to say that he is going and that the stories he tells there might not be true or it's just at least his versions of everything and that maybe makes him feel great that he's going and doing the work, even though he's not actually doing the work because now he can come home and say that he's doing the work. So he like feels good in both ways, or at least he can put that on you in one way, but also in some sort of kernel of truth within himself, he can actually say, I'm doing the work. Like I'm actually doing this. Like I'm supposed to and trick himself
1: That is um, a really good question, a really interesting question. And it's one that I thought about every day for probably a year, just like, and and researched intensely for a year, just like, why would he do that? Why would he subject himself to such a, you know, going anywhere for four days a week is... (laughs) it sucks. You know, it's like, you got to go to a job four or five days a week. That sucks. You don't want to have a schedule like that. Um, especially when you're going and, and people are telling you, oh, there's something wrong with you or like, you need to change things about yourself. So I tend to think that he was exactly was, yeah, he was doing that. He was going to, uh, feed that kernel of truth that he was trying and that if he was trying that whatever problems were arising were my fault, it was like a way to blame me. And it was also, he would use it against me a lot. He would say, well, I'm getting help and you're the one that's not in therapy and you're so screwed up now because of our relationship. He would literally say, you need to go to therapy because I've caused you to have PTSD, so you need to go deal with that now. And, like, do it in this way where it was my fault still. Um, And he was lying to his therapist. And I know this because occasionally, like, he had done our whole relationship, he would ask me to go to therapy with him. And he would frame it to me like, oh, my counselor would like for you to sit sit in on a session so we can kind of go over, like, what skills I've learned or like how we can translate these things into our everyday lives. And I was like, cool, that's great. I'm so happy that you asked me to go. And then I'd get there and his therapist would say like, you know, he's not, he's not a psychopath. He's not a monster. He's not going to kill you. Like he would, he was advocating for his, for me to come into a therapist because I was abusing him because he needed his therapist to, like, integrate me into the systems that he was learning because I was still emotionally abusing him in some way. It was total insanity. It was so convoluted and so backwards and every nothing made sense. Every time I thought I knew what was going on, I had no clue what was going on. And I also think that he didn't go a lot. I think he said that he was going quite a bit and didn't go. Um, and yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, this is the question of my lifetime. I have no clue. I, I have no idea. Um, being in therapy and playing that like a uh, sick person uh, or victim, like, playing the sixth victim card was what he knew. It was how he was raised. Um, And it was more comfortable than admitting that, you know, things were... That he was responsible for the things that he was doing. This way he could say, like, I'm not well. Here's the proof. But, um, yeah, he he stopped going as soon as we split up, he stopped going. So he obviously didn't care to be, and you know what else he was doing? He was actually, he was like bringing home the things that he would learn in therapy. And then he was using them against me whenever he would get upset. He would say like, he would, he would use these psychological, he would use psychological terminology to explain why he was right and I was wrong, or why what I was doing was wrong, and this is the way that I should be doing it. And it was just like, oh my god. (laughs) I was so exhausted. I was so exhausted by the whole thing. And then he started telling me, like, the skills that he's learned to calm himself down when he's upset. Maybe I should start doing those because I could really benefit from therapy and, and he was gonna now be my my guru or my teacher in some way to teach me how to deal with his bullshit. And that's how that's how it was coming across to me. Um it was mind boggling.
0: So so how did uh everything kind of finally um end?
1: Um
0: or are we even there so, yet?
1: Like- no, no, we're there, yeah, we're there. Um, I got the studio outside of the house, and it you know he started not coming home after work and he he actually he started doing this really weird thing where he would start talking to me about how he found like the girl at the coffee shop really attractive, and I would be like, "What the hell are you doing?" and it was like he went from being this like frail help me, I'm sick, to all of a sudden he had this bravado and this, like, smugness to him. And he wasn't, he was he didn't care about uh, the rules of the relationship. Like, you know, if you're not going to come home after work, like, give me a text. But those things were just totally out the window all of a sudden. And he was like, you abandoned me. You moved out. I got, a, I got a studio for my job, which is completely normal. Most people don't work from home. And he was interpreting it as I abandoned him. I left the relationship. And because of that, he could now do whatever he wanted. And I just said, that's not cool. That's not happening. And we were going to, for the first time in four years, we were going to go to my sister's for Christmas instead of his family. And it was Christmas Eve, and he, we were supposed to drive there. And it's not like an hour away; it's a ten-hour drive. It's all day long. We're gonna be there on Christmas. Couldn't even go before that. And he just looked at me on Christmas Eve and said, "Yeah, I'm not going." And I was like, "What?" He's like, "Your sister doesn't like me," and I'm just not. i just not in the mood to really deal with that vibe. I'm not going. And I was like, "How am I gonna get there? I can't. I can't drive ten hours." myself because i have to stay up all night to finish work this whole time the the whole two years after we've moved from new york city i'm working like crazy because he's kind of not (laughs) and i'm paying for everything and now i'm paying rent on a house and at a work studio and you know i'm just like i have to stay up all night i can't then drive 10 hours you are not going to make me miss christmas with my family for the first time in 4 years. And he was like, get a plane ticket. So I I did. I paid $1500 for a Christmas day plane Oof. ticket. And I left and as soon as I got there, I just I my it was like something was released. Like I was in this toxic situation for so long I didn't even realize that my body was so tense and uh I had been holding so much back I got there and I just couldn't stop crying I was like at the dinner table just bawling (laughs) and my mom's flown across the country she's there my sister has these amazing adorable kids that are like just kind of coming to the age where they're like what's wrong with with Angie, you know, and I just, I can't stop crying. And I just felt it. I was like, this is it. I have to, this this can't, my body won't let me go any further. I can't keep going. So I sent him an email saying, you know, I think you should leave. And these are the reasons why. And I end that email with, if you want to stay, if you want to work this out, here are the things that will no longer be okay. And I list out, you know, I set boundaries for the first time since we met. And I said, you know, if you threaten to kill yourself, I'm going to call 911. I'm going to ask somebody to come do a wellness check on you. You're not just going to, because it was so casually thrown about at this point, like every day, I'm going to kill myself. It's like, okay, go do it. You know, it was like nothing, which is not okay. Um, I just set boundaries. And by the time I returned from that trip, he was gone. He just stopped coming home. He just like vanished into thin air. And, um, he ended up coming back about a week later, uh, super casually, just like on the couch, chilling with the dog, watching TV, like nothing had happened. And, uh, That it was about, it was then when I found out that he had two cell phones. He was just like not, he didn't, he wasn't trying to be careful at this point. It was almost like he wanted, he really wanted me to see actually how screwed up it was. It was, he was, it was like he was getting pleasure out of devastating me because in his mind, I left him and that wasn't okay. Even though it, I, I clearly didn't leave him. I just set boundaries and then he stopped coming home. But where he was coming from was, you don't wanna be with me, then I'm gonna make your life a living hell. And he was texting me these things and saying these things to me, like, I'm gonna make it my job to ruin your life. I'm gonna take the dog, I'm gonna take your car. You have no idea the the power I have, uh, with with my dad's attorney's friends, I'm gonna bankrupt you, all this stuff. Um, and it, alongside that, I, he was like, not careful and started texting me from his other phone, which I never knew he had. And, um, I, that was enough for me. I was, I was good at that point. I didn't, I hadn't, I had like no fight left and I just wanted, I, I, I thought that this was my opportunity to leave, I changed the lock on the door and I didn't see him for three weeks. I didn't text him. Um, I sent him a few emails trying to I don't know, get some closure maybe and he either didn't respond or he responded cruelly so I just was like, that's it. I'm done and it was at this point <laughs> that I find out I'm pregnant. Um, I have to actually find him to tell him. I don't even, I have no idea where my husband is. I don't know where he's staying. I i know nothing. So I end up, um, I had him blocked on my phone and I didn't want to unblock him because the last time I texted with him, he was really nasty and I just, I, I set that boundary for myself. Like I didn't want to put myself in the position to be verbally attacked in, in that way anymore. So I went to his job and I told him and he was like, we're going to the clinic first thing tomorrow to verify this. He thought I was lying. He thought that I was uh, picking up some story to get him to come back because he's so great. And I, you know, I, I don't know. It was, it was humiliating to have you to have my husband, uh, not even believe me when I'm like, why would I, why would I do that? Anyways, we go to the clinic the next morning, the test is positive. He's there with me. He gets the print He gets the paper that says like, congratulations, you're five weeks pregnant or whatever. And, uh, He drives me back home, and the whole way home, he's just nonstop, I can't get a word in edgewise, saying, so you're going to get an abortion, right? Like, that's what we're deciding. Don't tell me that you're thinking about having this baby. You'd be a terrible mother. You know, you you don't want kids. I don't want kids. You want to have a kid by yourself? Go right ahead. You want to be a single mom? That sounds like fun. Just the whole way home it's been one hour, it, not even to spend 10 minutes since, since I got confirmation that I'm pregnant. And my husband's like, you're a horrible person. You'd be a horrible mother. You'd really screw up a kid if you had one. And it's just, it's the worst 15 minutes of my life, honestly. And, um, by the time we got back home, I, I got out of the car and I shut the door and I said, don't follow me. Like. Go, you have to go away. So he does. <clears throat> he sends me probably a thousand text messages in the next couple hours, repeating the same stuff. And he's like begging me to tell him what my decision is. He's given me a whole three hours to make this life changing decision for myself. And he's like, I'm going to kill myself, you know, Just like, I I won't even be here tomorrow to have this conversation. I'm going to kill myself right now. I'm going to drive off the edge of this cliff. It it was nonstop. I ended up blocking him. I just was like, I can't. It was so painful, not because it was coming from him, but because of the actual decision that I now (laughs) had to make, that I knew no matter which decision I chose, it was going to alter my life in some way, in in good ways and bad ways, no matter which I chose, right? And I wasn't being given the time to make that choice for myself. And I I wasn't being supported, and I was being tortured through it. So I said no more, and I blocked him. And he, because I blocked him, started banging on my front door (laughs) because I changed the locks. And I let him in eventually, and he had completely changed his tune. He was so sweet. I want to do whatever you want to do. I'm so sorry. I was just in shock, blah, 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 blah. He spent the night at home for the first time in over a month. And he's just as sweet as can be until the next day when I woke up and I thought, like, what am I doing? What is he doing here? No, 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 this can't happen. So I told him, I said, can I just have the weekend? Can you just go back to wherever the hell you were staying and give me the weekend to kind of collect my thoughts? And he was like, of course, no problem. This baby would be so loved. Like, it's cool. We can figure things out. Don't even worry about getting, you know, we don't even have to talk about getting a divorce anymore, whatever. Uh, the next day, he's back with the with the nasty text messaging. It's like, when people say it's like a Jekyll and Hyde personality, it, it is. It's, it's one day, it's one thing, and the next day, it's completely the opposite. And there's no understanding of why. It's like, who knows? It, it, in my opinion, there's always a motive. Like, he was super sweet that night because maybe whoever he was sleeping with didn't let him stay there. So he needed to be sweet to me to have a place to sleep. You know, like you, I, you just never know what the motivation is, but I'm pretty confident that there is a motivation that's underlying, that's completely self-serving that has nothing to do with you. Uh, anyways. Yeah. Um, Because he flipped back again, because his behavior was so intensely erratic i I went no contact i uh didn't answer the door when he came a knock in i didn't i blocked him on email i blocked him on my phone and i let about three weeks go by until um, he sends me a text from his other phone. And I didn't have it on blocks because I didn't know the number. I didn't, I I hadn't put all that together yet. And I was at, uh, I was getting my car serviced. I was getting oil put in my car or something. I had like 5% oil. And he sends me a text that says, uh, getting a tune-up, planning on going somewhere. And it freaked me out so much you know I hadn't heard from him in three weeks I was like I wouldn't say recovering by any stretch of the words but I was you know not walking on eggshells on a daily basis and it was kind of nice and it was getting to be that time where I needed to make the decision as like medically speaking what I was going to do if I was going to terminate the pregnancy or if I was going to go forward with And I was trying to figure out, like, if I worked to go forward with it, what would I do? I would obviously need some support of some kind. Would that mean that I'd have to move out of state? I was just going through all the logistics, and I just wanted to be there in my head with that. Also, I think it's maybe worth mentioning that I'm in my mid-30s. So in my mind, it was like, okay, this could be my only opportunity to have kids, especially if I'm going to get a divorce because I'm not going to be in like a serious relationship anytime soon. Um, So yeah, he sends me that really creepy text where he's obviously phoned me or has a tracker on me or whatever. And, and, you know, he's like, if you don't let me, if you don't uh, respond to me, if you don't write me back, you can expect me to break into the house tonight or something like that. And he starts with, I'm going to kill myself again. And I leave the oil changing place and I go straight to the courthouse and I file for a restraining order. And, uh, I, I don't know. I had like a premonition that I would need that restraining order pretty soon for some reason. Um, you know, besides the fact that I needed it and I needed it years ago, probably also, um, so he served with it, and between the time that he served with and the time that we go to court for the hearing, uh, he's not allowed to contact me. He's not allowed to come by the house, nothing. So I get that kind of like week of peace before there's a final decision made. And during that time, I, uh, I had really bad stomach pain one night. And it wasn't like, oh, my stomach's upset. It was like something's really, really, really wrong. I was howling like a, like a wild animal in pain all night long. And I was so afraid that he was going to break into the house at any moment. I was like, every night I was just stiff as a board, laying in bed, petrified, waiting for the sun come up to come up. I was so scared of the dark. And just, like, what could happen in the night. But I was also trying to rest because I knew how important it was. Anyway, um, I laid in bed just uh, in in agonizing pain until the sun comes up. And as soon as the sun comes up, I get out of bed. And it's like, I don't want to get too graphic, but I lost 70% of my blood when I stood up out of bed. I had massive hemorrhaging. Um. I'm I'm kind of like frozen standing there, not understanding really what's happening. I I'm also totally deliriously tired, and I'm not even sure if I'm asleep or awake. And I grab my phone and I call nine one one, and I'm like fading in and out before the ambulance arrives. Um, and I kind of go black after that. I was rushed into emergency surgery. And I was losing blood faster than they could replace it. They ended up, uh, I guess when you go to the hospital as a single woman, and I don't know if this is everywhere, but in my state, they do a domestic violence screening on you, but you don't know that they're doing it. It's, it's like, uh, I don't know what the criteria is, but whatever it is, I, I was labeled as like very high risk for domestic violence. So because of that, and because of my situation, the doctor really wanted to call somebody uh, because he wasn't sure if I was going to make it, and he didn't call my emergency contact, which was my husband. He ended up going onto my phone and figuring out who my siblings were based on my Facebook page. And then going from my phone and finding my sister's phone number and calling her. And she's in a different state. You know, she has kids, she has a job. She's actually out of town for a job, but she picks up the phone because she sees that it's my area code, but it's not me. And she was there within eight hours. Uh, which was great. Cause I really needed somebody to be there when I woke up, I was really confused. Um So I was held for days because I wasn't uh, react. I I wasn't. They kept transfusing me. I had twelve blood transfusions during this time, and I was still just not obtaining the blood correctly. But I also I had to go to court. I had to go get my restraining order. So the faculty at the hospital and my sister, I think, kind of got together and said. Like, let's not tell her what's happened with the pregnancy until after she goes to court. Like, let's release her so she can go to court. And then let's have her come back. Because they thought that if I found out that I lost the baby, it would uh, devastate me to the point where I wouldn't go to court or something. And they they were all... in <laughs> This is such a, a great little squad to have. Like, they were all in agreement that that was really important and I needed to do that. So, that's what happened. I went to court, and when I get there, he serves me with divorce papers that say almost on every page that um, I'm not pregnant. There's no proof that I'm pregnant, and it is a manipulation tactic. Which corresponds with the last four years of emotional abuse that I've inflicted upon him on, on the divorce papers that he served me. And he also files a counter complaint to get a restraining order against me. And in it, he, he fabricates every detail. There's nothing that's true in it. And he puts that I was physically stalking him. And I was—I put a tracker on his car. And you have to list the days that these things happen when you file for one of these. And he lists the dates as the dates that I'm in the ICU because he has no clue what I've just gone through. He has no idea. Um, which was amusing and terrifying at the same time because it was the first time that I saw how naturally deceptive he was and how he had no problem lying to the court. He had no problem making shit up off the top of his head. And he had no cares in the world about the pregnancy. He had no cares in the world about me. Um, yeah, that that's pretty much, that's pretty much the end. Uh, I got a restraining order and his got thrown out.
0: So in the aftermath of everything what were i guess the biggest issues that you've had as far as nightmares or or PTSD and how have you been dealing with that
1: Uh at first it's been about uh it's been about 10 months now 10 11 months I I think I'm, I think I'm doing kind of great now for the first Uh, Oh, I I should also mention that this was at the very beginning of the pandemic. (laughs) So I've spent, since that day in court, up until today that we're talking, 10 months later, nine months later, um, in complete isolation, in a state that I know nobody in, that I have no family in. And it's been uh, a, a total blessing in disguise. It's given me the time that, you know, I think it takes to really focus in on yourself and, and uh, to heal. And it's given me a lot of time to really get down to the nitty gritty of what's happened and figure a lot of things out and see things for what, what they really were. Um, And it was, it was awful for the first few months I cried every day for hours every day. It wasn't, it wasn't, um, a boo here and there. It was like gut-wrenching, blood-curdling, sobbing. And I, um, I really went to a super dark place because I was like, I knew nothing. I was just living in a completely different universe for the past four, four years. It was like um, Alice in Wonderland or something. I don't know it was just mind blowing when I started to uncover the truth of everything. And I made the decision pretty early on that I, I, I had spent the past few years that we were together kind of researching his condition and like what was wrong, if something was wrong. So it wasn't this, this moment at the end where I was like, what is this? I, I already knew what was happening. It was, which was great because I made the decision super early that I was going to focus on me for the first time in many years. And what about me put me in that situation or what about me made made that situation okay for so long? Um, and it's been, I, I feel like a completely different person. I feel, you know what I feel like? This is kind of strange, but I feel like what I remember when I was a kid, like I feel very like the truest expression of myself before I was tainted by life, not just him, but like life in general. So
0: can you explain yeah, that a little more? I,
1: well, I, you know, you, uh, life gets in the way a lot. And especially I, I, I was living in a in a big city. I was really busy. I was doing a lot of things. I had a lot of friends. I was constantly distracting myself for t- 20 years. And this is after I grew up already. This is after I went through high school and everything. And I uh, I thought I knew who I was. I thought I was really in tune with who I was. I thought that I was good. I thought... You know, I don't have any major issues. I I totally dealt with all my childhood stuff, blah blah blah. But it, it, that just wasn't the case. I was really in a lot of denial, and I was really just pushing things under the rug. And I was I had no clue who I was a year ago. I I had no idea. I was I I I felt certain ways. I felt intuitively like something about me was different or wrong or whatever, but I hadn't integrated it and had, had language for it. Um, I took a lot of, uh, I, I started seeing a therapist who is also an Enneagram coach. Who's also super, I mean, I live in a, I live in a town or a city that's known for it's kind of like mystic, Spirituality, which a year ago I thought was so boring. I thought I was like, oh God, these hippies, you know. Uh, one, now, once you
0: get to I, a certain age, boring's pretty
1: good. <laughs> boring is really great. And it's also interesting. If you it's everything can be interesting if you just like open yourself up to it.
0: And, you know, uh, as people who've listened to the show, like for a long time know that I'm an Enneagram fan and we talked about the Enneagram beforehand and uh, I'm not, I'm I'm getting in the way of your story. Just continue. I'm sorry. No,
1: no, you're fine. I think it's, I I like talking to other people about it. It Kind of, it kind of validates my, my existence, I guess. I'll tell you one thing when I, when I, at the beginning of this year, after all this stuff kind of went down, and I, uh, my therapist slash coach, whatever, was like, "You're this number on the enneagram. This is your MBTI. You're a life path this in numerology." And I was like, "Whatever." I, I honestly, I was like, "This is." such BS. Like I don't even want to talk to you anymore. And then she would be like, just take the test. Just take the test. Let me know, read these things. Let me know what you think. And every single time I took a test, I started bawling my eyes out because I was like, I don't want to be like this. (laughs) Like, no, I don't want to be that number. I don't want to be those letters. I just, it was devastating. That's how out of touch I was with myself. And then after I kind of started the road's healing. I I would reread the things, or she would try to get me to see how the things integrated into my personality. And now, a year later, I'm like, yeah, that's me, and it's cool. It's fine. I'm good with it.
0: You're a four with a five wing, correct?
1: A five with a four five with wing. a four wing. Okay. Yeah. I'm. I like. I'm, I'm the, I'm whatever the least amount of people are in every one of them. <laughs> what? Say that been. again. So uh, I'm like, uh, I'm an INFJ. Oh, an oh okay. Tribe. I the Myers Briggs. Okay. Yeah. I'm a life path 11. Like all of, all of the things that I am are what nobody else is. And it, it kind of made me feel even more isolated in this time of being totally isolated at first. And it, it affirmed my my uh, my hunch that I was not um, like everybody else. And now I'm just going to be alone. You know, these are my thoughts. I'm going to be alone forever. Nobody's ever going to get me. I was totally fooled into this relationship by somebody who was pretending to be me. I'm doomed. <laughs> That's what I thought. But now I'm like, it's cool. <laughs> I would rather be alone with my weird self than in that situation, I guess.
0: So before we end off the show, do you have any words of wisdom or advice for anyone going through the same thing?
1: Um,
0: This is like the Jerry Springer thought for the day.
1: Yeah, I know. It's so tough, right? Because I, I, I listened to this podcast. I listened to a lot of self-help podcasts. I read a lot of books over the course of my marriage and That's a lot of advice that I digested that I didn't take. So it's difficult to even try to come up with something that's going to resonate with somebody who's, you know, you really have to be, you have to be ready. There's nothing I think that anybody can say that's going to extricate you from something like that. But if you are already extricated or you're ready to go, I would say absolutely as, as quickly as possible. Turn all of that fear and hysteria and panic and uh, investigative things that you're doing to try to get to the bottom of your spouse or partner and, and flip it and, and do it, do it about yourself. Really, really dig deep inside and figure out who you are and put all that attention back on you because you likely haven't, gotten any positive affirmations for a long time.
0: And I'm going to add one more bit to what you said, because it's something that's uh, a real helpful lesson if, uh, from this episode, which is, you know, if you're feeling a lot of shame or guilt for for staying, uh, you know, and being hoovered back and, and staying in the whole pattern and the cycle of abuse, one of the things that you said, it was a big part for me of this episode was you know, you don't know anything is wrong until patterns form and, and, you know, you're going through the motions and it's until you see those patterns and it's not, you know, you can take this just as a a life lesson and and it's a lesson of this type of abuse, which is you you don't realize these things are still happening until one day you're like, Oh, this has happened like four times before I, I see it now. So and, and so you're for,
1: also being lied to constantly so you don't you don't know which way is up a lot of the time
0: yeah and so for people who are feeling a lot of shame and guilt for staying you know you did nothing wrong you you know you should, you know I know my words won't uh be much cuz i know you're still feeling it but you know It takes a while in some of these situations, especially if you have zero frame of reference at all for this stuff to see the patterns. So I hope all of you out there are, um, you know, taking it easier on yourself uh, on this uh, Monday and or whenever, whatever day of the week you're listening to it. And I I really just want to thank you, uh, Vienna, for being here with me today and sharing your story.
1: And I want to thank you for giving me the platform. Thank you.
0: No problem. And for everyone else out there who is listening still, I hope you have a good night.